You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of The Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan on this 11th day of June, 2011. I'd like to ask all of the listeners, as always, to check into my website, CorbettReport.com, where you can find previous episodes of this podcast, as well as articles, interviews, and videos created and conducted by myself in the past, and links to other alternative independent media outlets, such as GlobalResearch.ca. And on the note of GlobalResearch.ca, viewers of Sunday Update might have noticed that last week's edition of Sunday Update was brought to you by the Center for Research on Globalization, better known as GlobalResearch.ca. That was not a one-off affair. In fact, now every week, Sunday Update will be brought to you by the Center for Research on Globalization at GlobalResearch.ca, so I would certainly hope that people will check out Global Research if you have not yet done so, and also their new GRTV at GlobalResearchTV.com. And by combining our resources and talents, I think Sunday Update is only going to improve from here, and given the caliber of the guests that I'm starting to line up for future editions of Sunday Update, I think you will agree with me that this is a very exciting partnership. And not only am I now producing Sunday Update in conjunction with Global Research, I am now also committed to producing a new weekly news video series with Sibel Edmonds of BoilingFrogsPost.com. And I think my listeners will probably know Sibel Edmonds, the FBI whistleblower who I have mentioned many, many times on this podcast, and will likely be familiar with her blog, BoilingFrogsPost.com. Well, she will be launching a new subscription service for her blog, and there will be articles and videos and podcasts and other such things that will be available to subscribers of Boiling Frog's Post. And one of those things will be my weekly news video series, which I'm going to be calling The Eye Opener, after a famous muckraking journalism endeavor from my hometown of Calgary from the turn of the 20th century. But uh, having said that, the first episode of that series is due to be launched on Monday. That's Monday, June 13th. And it's about a breaking news story, which you will not have heard about anywhere else because it's uh, actually going to break on Tuesday, but you will get the special sneak preview on Monday. And uh, the first several editions of this new eye-opener video series will be available, as usual, for for free on my YouTube site and on, on CorbettReport.com. So please stay tuned for that, and you will be getting some incredible reports. I'm already lining up some, again, some incredible guests and some incredible topics, so I very much look forward to that. But as you may have noticed, I am at death's doorstep with this horrendous cold, and I've already lost my voice twice in the last three days. So we'll see if I'm able to record this video and get it up on Monday as planned. I really, really hope so. But uh, I'll be resting my voice as much as possible between now and then, except, of course, for today's podcast, because even though I am at death's doorstep and ready to shuffle off this mortal coil with this horrible contagion, battling my uh, my every system and threatening to make me pass out at any moment. Well, I have uh, an agreement between myself and myself to continue persevering with this podcast as long as I am physically able and capable, and I've already promised all the listeners that uh, the episode 190 on listener feedback would be coming out today, June 11th, 2011, so come hell or high water, here I am putting it out for you, so... I hope you enjoy this episode. Again, today we will be going over the listener feedback that came in over the past week after my call for feedback, so let's get straight into it. 
Welcome, my friends, to episode 190 of the Corbett Report podcast, Listener Feedback. And as the title, I think, makes quite clear, yes, today we are taking questions and comments and suggestions from the listeners. So uh, I am once again overwhelmed by the amount of feedback that I've gotten over the past week and all of the incredibly uh, amazing, insightful, wonderful things that you've had to say and uh, some things that are, go against what I have to say, which is also, well, of course, it's welcome to get alternative points of view. So I've taken the liberty of breaking down the feedback that has come in into four broad categories, questions, suggestions, disagreements, and finally, positive feedback, which is also nice to hear, of course, as well. So let's get straight into it, and we'll start with the questions category. And for the first question, we're going to go to the voicemail and a voicemail from an anonymous caller. Anyway, James, um, I just wanted to know. I wanted to know what you thought about Ron Paul. That is all. Have a good day. Okay, well, that is a good question. What are my thoughts on Ron Paul? Well, in a nutshell, I guess I would have to say that ultimately I can't throw 100% support behind Ron Paul uh, because I have to say that his stance on 9-11 Truth is, um, well, something that I can't support. He has given interviews in which he has flat-out denied any connection whatsoever to 9-11 Truth or the 9-11 Truth community, and then he has given, granted, other interviews in which he has basically said that he will not... uh, not concentrate on those issues because he's busy concentrating on things like the Federal Reserve, so he can't really uh, devote himself to to other topics that might uh, distract him from his main his main objectives. And I think the implication, certainly the implication that a lot of people have thrown around and some people who who actually know Ron Paul, is that he does, of course, not accept the official 9-11 conspiracy theory. But if that's the case, and he really does have his questions about 9-11, but he's willing to shut up and clam up about the issue because... Well, for whatever reason, I guess because it's more electable and he wants to be presented as an electable candidate. Well, then ultimately, I can't support that. I absolutely reject that. I think it's something that I'm completely and utterly sick of is politicians who won't stand up for what they believe in and won't question the status quo because they are afraid of not being electable. And, oh, no, what will the what will Glenn Beck and the others say about me if I come out for 9-11 truth? So so ultimately, I can't throw my support behind any candidate who's not who's not willing to stand up on his beliefs. But having said that, I have to stress that as far as I can see, there is no one in Congress who comes anywhere close to as as spot on on so many subjects as Ron Paul is. And his uh, incredible speeches against the illegal wars, against the police state, against the CIA even. He even called the called them out and said there's been a coup in in the United States and the CIA is responsible. I mean, just incredible things that you would not be getting from any other congressman. So so I, I do have my hats off to him, and I think he does good work. And for that reason, I do support him more than other Congress critters. And I, I will ultimately, I guess, probably, unless something really changes, I probably hope, hope that he, you know, does get the nomination for Republican president, um, presidential nominee. But, but uh, ultimately, I can't throw un- unmitigated 100% support behind him. So that's, uh, it's not a clear, definitive answer, but that's the, that's the answer that I have. So thank you for the question. Um, let's move on to the mailbag, and we're going to take some questions. There's a couple of, I think, related questions, one from Raphael, who writes, 
I would like to raise awareness to the truth movement, but I find most people aren't interested. Just wondering if you had any suggestion on activism, groups, or ways to wake people up. Thank you for all your efforts in trying to defeat the NWO. And we have a comment from Patrick. I was attempting to have a conversation about geoengineering and its possible effects when I began to be called names. Obviously, the word paranoid came up. Would you have any advice the next time I face these name calls? How have you dealt in the past? All right. Thank you, Raphael and Patrick. Good questions. On Patrick's concern about uh, the name calling and ad hominem attacks, well, I mean, to a certain extent, I, I certainly understand as a human being, having uh, been, been in conversations where that type of name calling comes up, it is, it is frustrating, genuinely frustrating to have people dismiss an entire argument and all of the presented evidence because well, you're paranoid, you're crazy, you're a conspiracy theorist. So I know it's uh, frustrating at that level, but ultimately on the wider view of things, perhaps counterintuitively, and this actually speaks to what Raphael was saying also about suggestions for ways to wake people up. Well, perhaps counterintuitively, I have always maintained that the Corbett Report is in no way, shape, or form meant to convince anybody of anything or meant to plead with anyone, oh, please take a look at this information, oh, please believe me, oh, please. Uh, it's absolutely not about that in any way, shape, or form. Ultimately, all I'm doing is trying to put out that information that I think is interesting and credible and put the sources out there so people can check into it for themselves. And that's that's the sum extent of what the Corbett Report is doing. And I think if we take that attitude and put our measure of success not in being able to wake up this or that person to, to this particular truth or that particular thing. If we put it more in a broad state where we're out there, we're putting information out there, we're injecting ourselves into the discourse, and there's always going to be people who will turn away from it and don't want to hear it, and that's really their problem. And we have to really, really and truly take that to heart, that it's not our it's not our duty and it's not the, uh, the sole measure of our success that this or that person actually takes what we're saying into account. And, uh, and it's been said many times, but I think it bears repeating that, uh, that we are out there sowing seeds, and you never know how seeds are going to grow up. So you go out there, you sow the seeds, you, you obviously get a lot of uh, kickback and people who won't, don't want to listen to it, but those are the same people who come around you know, years later and say, well, you know, I was reading about this, and maybe you were right about that, and you never know how that's going to happen. So, so I think it's best not to concentrate too much on the negative feedback and just to plow ahead and keep going forward, because ultimately, if you know that you have the sources, you have the information that you think is, is sound, and you have the documentation to back it up, then why do you care what this or that person wants to dismiss? That's, that's really their problem. So that's, that's my short answer to that. Let's move on to an email from George, who writes... Do you think websites like Max Kaiser and Infowars do more harm than good? Is it possible that these sites are planned distractions to keep people feeling angry and believing that they are actually doing something by reading and contributing to these sites? Max Kaiser continually attacks the big boogeyman JP Morgan and also Wall Street. He and his co-presenter often push the point that man-made global warming is one of the biggest threats that we face. See the following, and he includes a link to a recent Max Kaiser article with some com um, unfortunate commentary, commentary from Stacy about, uh, oops, despite increase in plant food emissions, crops for failing in warming world. And then George continues to write, I am very suspicious of Max Kaiser. At best, he's just typing the tension to get advertising revenue. At worst, he is a clever weapon of the elite to sidetrack the anger of the people away from really damaging the elite. Well, George, I think you bring up two um, unrelated points there, and uh, let's separate them out. I think on Max Kaiser's pushing of the global warming uh, hype and hysteria, 
Uh, well, certainly, I absolutely 100% totally disagree with him and his uh, global warming fear-mongering. And I think he very much definitely comes from the left side of the phony left-right political spectrum, and he, a lot of his commentary is informed by that. So we see him talking about things like that, and and, and uh, unfortunately, I think, dismissing the the important and relevant evidence because uh, of his political agenda. So on that point, I very, very much disagree with Max Kaiser. And yet, uh, on so many other points, especially his, his not only insightful, but also very, very to-the-point commentary on the Wall Street uh, banksters, I think he's absolutely on point, which is why I have interviewed him in the past and likely will continue to do so. Uh, and again, this speaks to a fundamental point that I've I've been trying to make in recent weeks and hopefully will will continue to to push home to people is that I do not agree with everything that my guests say, and I am not here to account for what they, they say in other contexts, but uh, I am simply trying to put forward those ideas that I, I agree on and to find points where we can work together. Because if you are looking for gods to follow, infallible gods who believe and say everything that you think and everything that you believe, well, I don't see the point in that. I, th I think that's a fundamentally flawed way of looking at things, and I I know there are going to be people out there who have uh, strong disagreements with things that I say or things that other researchers say, and I think the point is to be able to find those points in which we agree and work together on those points, because in that way we will be much stronger than if we spend all our time picking little fights with everyone because they don't agree in this or that. So in that regard, yes, I have my disagreements with Max, but I also value his opinion. On the other regard, um, I find it kind of strange that uh, you would posit that uh, talking about the boogeymen of J.P. Morgan and Wall Street is a planned distraction. I think very much oppositely to that, to that idea, I think that J.P. Morgan and the Wall Street banksters and the very obvious and very demonstrable criminal activities that they've engaged in and gotten away with over the past few years, if not decades, if not centuries, is is so in your face, so staggering that I think it's an absolutely key part of the entire info war that we're fighting. So I don't see that as a distraction in any shape or form, and I don't really see where that's coming from. So let's move on to an email from Carl, who writes, quote, the frame for the question, confirmation bias. The tendency to find and absorb only that information which fits in with one's current beliefs is a common weakness of all men. However, the distorting effect it has on the accuracy of one's outlook can be increased by the vast amount of searchable information available on the internet. Also in cyberspace, people often flock together and network with like-minded folks to share like-minded information like shoals of fish. As a result, they limit their exposure to varied opinions. Seeking out and seriously considering contrary or uncomfortable information not only involves harder work, but psychologically it is very difficult or almost impossible for most people to do. Also, it is in the nature of group behavior to, at best, discourage expression or consideration of contrary opinion, and at worst, to censor and ridicule it. Truth-seeking groups are no different. So the actual question, how do you personally try to reduce the detrimental effect of confirmation bias on your outlook on the world, and as a result, the accuracy of your reporting of the world? Are you aware of your own limiting bias? Do you f ever feel encouraged to espouse particular outlooks popular amongst your peers, but feel pressure to shy away from expressing other personal outlooks as you know they will not go down well and will result in drama, end quote? Well, Carl, that's an excellent excellent question, and one that I have tried to address uh, on, on previous episodes of this podcast quite explicitly, especially, for example, in our episode on Patriot Mythology, I very, very much agree that we have, as human beings, have a tendency towards confirmation bias. 
we seek out those things that that support our viewpoints and we tend to disregard things that go against those viewpoints so i think you frame the question in the right way you don't say how to eliminate confirmation bias because i think that's part of human nature but we have to try to reduce confirmation bias and its detrimental effects. I agree with that very much. And I don't know if I have a, uh, a pointers for doing that, but I think we just simply have to continue to question our beliefs and continue to question whether the information we're finding is truly uh, backing up what we already believe or if it, uh, if it just appears to be something that, that will suit our already existing view of the world so we take it on board. And when we see contrary evidence, we have to, we have to ask whether it's valid and if not, why not? And uh, it's something that we just have to continually challenge ourselves to do. And uh, I listen to numerous, numerous podcasts, lots of different alternative researchers and media hosts. And I have to say, I don't, I don't mean this in a tooting my own horn kind of way. Maybe some people would even see it as a weakness. But I, I think that uh, myself, I'm one of the few people out there who is constantly saying that I don't know this or that, and I, I can't say this or that, or this or that thing is beyond my knowledge, so I'll have to refrain from commenting on it. And uh, a lot of researchers, I think, get caught up in the idea that they have to be complete and total sums of knowledge. They have to be the, uh, the Delphi Oracle or something in order to have some following or something. Well, I don't want a following and I don't want people thinking that I'm, I'm anything whatsoever special in any way. I'm just a regular guy who has exactly as much access to information as the next guy with the internet. So I'm just out here putting out that information I find interesting and I often come up against the limits of my knowledge. So I certainly hope that uh, that my confirmation bias does not ultimately undermine the work that I'm doing, and it's something that I'm constantly trying to subject myself towards. So Carl, uh, great question. Thank you very much for that question. And I think it's one that, uh, that would behoove all of the listeners to ask themselves every once in a while. So let's move along to another email from Zachary, who writes, How soon, if ever, will we see Internet 2 or an Internet version of the Patriot Act? Government-sponsored or not, I believe the precursors are there, and we're one catastrophic and catalyzing event away from a government takeover of the internet. Well, Zachary, I think you're exactly right, and it's something that I've addressed uh, many, 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 many times in this podcast and in my videos, especially on New World Next Week. We've talked about it lots of times with the iPatriot Act and, and all of that. Uh, as to the question, when will it occur? Well, obviously, I can't say. The only people who know that are the people who are planning the catastrophic and catalyzing event, the cyber false flag, the virtual flag terror, as Webster Tarpley has called it. So I don't know. I mean, I can't say when it's going to happen, but I think it's absolutely, completely in the cards and I would be shocked more to see that that type of catalyzing catastrophic event doesn't happen than if it does. So it is a question of timing, and I cannot say when it will happen. So let's move on to the next email from Charlie. My question is, what is the best online forum I could use to discuss and learn more about these things? The Tragedy and Hope Forum is too low volume. Jan's forum is full of spam. That's Jan Irvin. Uh, Alex Jones's forum is full of Patriot hillbillies. Above top secret seems too unfriendly. What online forums do you recommend? Any leads appreciated? All right. Well, Charlie, um, speaking about internet online forums, you're probably asking the wrong person because personally, I honestly don't see really the point in online forums. And I know a lot of people are looking for community in this, and I don't think that's a misplaced idea. I don't think that's wrong. It's just something that uh, I'm not 
particularly interested in. I don't need to to chat about these types of things with with people in some online forum. But I understand a lot of people do want that, so uh, what do I recommend? Well, you say that the Tragedy and Hope forum, the tragedyandhope.com, obviously, well, you say that's too low volume. Well, I would say that the answer to that, then, is trying to contribute to, to raising that volume. And uh, so I don't really see that as a valid reason. I mean, I think there's some very good discourse going on there, and it's not something that I really participate in personally, as, again, I'm way more focused on putting out podcasts and interviews and videos, so I don't really have time to participate in online forums, fora. But um, but I, I know a lot of people get a lot of, out of that. Um, the other uh, forums you mentioned, well, in, in, in uh, the interest of full disclosure, yes, I do have an account at uh, prisonplanet.tv, so I, I do occasionally post to the Prison Planet forum. I think I've posted two or three times in the last year. Um, but again, I don't get a lot out of it. I think there are some, some interesting leads on breaking stories there from time to time, but um, their level of discourse is not exactly what I'm looking for. So so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I know some people are looking for that uh, type of online forum. Personally, I, I don't really find it all that useful or interesting. Um, let's move on to an email from Anthony, who writes, I have yet to hear you comment on the split in the 9-11 research movement between the ideas of Dr. Judy Wood and her energy weapon theory and Professor Stephen Jones, who backs the thermite theory. Do you lend any support to Dr. Wood's ideas or research? All right, very good question, Anthony, and I'm sure it's one that many people out there have, so let me be as clear as I can. I do not support mini-nukes. I do not support TV fakery. I do not support no planes. I do not support Vic Sims, and I do not support mystery, magical energy beams from outer space. And I don't know how how much more clear I can get on that. Um, and that's not to say, please don't take that as me saying that I 100% unequivocally believe that the Thermite story is the correct story. In fact, I, I have my reservations about that as well. But, uh, but personally, ultimately on this question, I think there are a lot of really fascinating and interesting distractions out there from some of the real issues of 9-11. And it's something that I've been saying for years now and continue to stress that I think that a lot of the physical anomalies of what happened on 9-11 are ways to keep people in these endless infighting arguments about this and that little uh, part of this or that theory and you don't support this research or oh my god, you must be a co-intelbro, you must be part of the, the New World Order. Well, if that's if that's the level of discourse in which you want to participate, then go right ahead and, and can stop listening to me right now. But ultimately, I, I think that we have to stop, we have to go beyond the physical anomalies of 9-11 and look at the grand context of 9-11. That's something that I've stressed over and over, and it starts with things like following the money trail for 9-11 and looking at the uh, the air defenses on 9-11 and looking at the, uh, the big players on 9-11. Again, there's way too much to go into right now, but suffice it to say, I think that a lot of these ideas, whether consciously put out there by... Uh, COINTELPRO type people to split up the movement or not, ultimately has that effect. So it doesn't really matter if it's government funded or not. And uh, and that's pretty much all I have to say about that at the moment. Um, people can continue to send me links to all of these interesting ideas about the interesting ways that the towers were brought down, and I'll continue to look at them, but um, I haven't seen a single thing that's convinced me yet of any of these uh, these theories, and I, well, I I doubt that I'm likely to, but again, keep sending it in, and I'll take a look at it. All right, well, uh, let's let's continue with the questions, and this time we'll go to a YouTube video response to the YouTube video that announced this episode of the podcast, and we'll listen to this uh, this question from one of the YouTube viewers. 
Hello James and fellow fans of the Corbet Report. My question for James is this. Is this the new food order? With dramatic increase in natural disasters affecting areas in which large portions of the world's food are grown, degradation of farmland and crops, and with proposed legislations trying to ban the sales of non-hybrid seeds and other anti-farm legislation, on top of human destructive forces destroying what little quantities of water we have, quite frankly, my question is, is this the new world order? Or is this the new food order brought about by the new, the new world order? What do you foresee for the future in food and water availability on the world scale? And how do you think human values will change? All right, thank you very much for that question, and I think uh, very much, I think you're spot on with that analysis. I think a lot of this does come back down to food, and that's, again, something that I talk about quite often on NewWorldNextWeek.com with James Evan Pilato, as he has uh, not just the new food order, he has a website, FoodWorldOrder.com, so definitely this is something that uh, he has been identifying for quite a long time and something that I'm very much behind because our reliance on uh, their food supply is something that they have as obvious leverage and control over us. So uh, so when they start to uh, implement these, these genetically engineered seeds and start to take over the planet with them, well, then we obviously are scrambling to try to find alternatives. And I think that's very much a, a key issue to what's going on right now. And control over the food is truly control over the people. So... So I think it's absolutely a key part of the fight, and I hope people do uh, check foodworldorder.com regularly for the very interesting uh, stories that pop up there. And uh, I know a lot of people are doing that because uh, food-related stories tend to get the most comments on our videos and things like that. So I know people are very, very much interested in that, and I am too. I think absolutely that's an important, perhaps vital, perhaps key part of this entire fight. And that's something that we'll come back to a little bit later. But right now, let's move on to the next category of feedback that I got. And this is coming under the category of suggestions. So first, let's go over a rather large list of uh, episode topic suggestions that I got from various people. Uh, I had an email from Jeremiah suggesting that I do an episode on Ruby Ridge. And I very much agree that would be a good idea for a future episode. I had one from Julian asking me to talk about the Icelandic bank crisis. Um, I have addressed that several times in videos and podcasts, but I, I think it is something that would be worth coming back to and trying to get uh, perhaps even some more interviews or something lined up with people who are there, so I agree. Uh, Matthew wants me to talk more about disengaging from the money system, which, again, is something that I'm very much behind. And he uh, sent a link to communityforge.net, a website for building local communities, including local money systems. And I'll include that in the documentation for this episode. Um, I had an email from Adam asking for more info on chemtrails. And I did cover that as quite explicitly in episode 138, Geoengineering and You. But I very much agree it's a topic that would very much bear more scrutiny. Perhaps in more a type of video report, because I think it's more important to see the evidence for that than just to talk about it. I had an email from Elizabeth asking me to take a look at the sexual perversions of the elite in things like Boys Town and Bohemian Grove and other such scandals. And uh, I agree, that's a topic that's ripe for, for research. Um, if people are relatively new to this podcast, they might want to go back and check episode 39, Who is Jeff Gannon? Which I think is the hardest hitting report on that aspect of the elite that I've done so far. And it's uh, full of really, really fascinating information along those lines. 
And uh, finally, I had an email from Brad asking me to do more reports on Fukushima, including interviews with reporters on the ground. And I'd very much be interested in doing that, because it is obviously an incredibly important story that has been a victim of the 24-7 news cycle and has long since cleared off the uh, plate of the the mainstream controlled corporate media. So I would very much like to continue following that up. Um, In terms of sources for that type of reportage, though, I'd really like people out there to to uh, try to recommend some sources for me on that story because uh, it's it's very difficult to find people who are who are knowledgeable and have some actual connection you know reporters on the ground well you know I can't speak Japanese well enough to interview someone and uh, and it wouldn't really be much use to the audience out there either so so it would have to be an English speaker it would have to be someone who's quite knowledgeable about these issues uh, I don't know I mean I've I've interviewed several people I've tried to interview others I've sent several e- uh, interview requests out there to various people but they never got back to me so so uh, it's a difficult story to get a, a handle on especially as the story continues to change from day to day um, and it's something that I'll have to continue trying to do so again your feedback and links are very much appreciated but people by the way can stop sending me links to the um, the report about the possibility that Israel uh, planted nukes off the coast of Japan in order to cause a tsunami, in order to flood Fukushima, in order to cause the the meltdown of Fukushima because Japan had offered to process uranium for Iran, which I think is an absolutely ridiculous story that has absolutely no basis in reality and is completely uh, just out there fantasy land type stuff, but is obviously propagating far and wide and is being sent to me by many, many, many different people because, well, it's Israel and they're they're capable of any type of a monstrosity and atrocity. And uh, and uh, it's very unfortunate, I think, that people are continuing to propagate that. And just as one example of why I think that's so ridiculous, so oh, yes, definitely, Israel wanted to get J- Japan for even daring to suggest that they could process uranium for, for uh, Iran. Oh, wait, but Russia has been proposing that exact same thing since 2005. And, oh, yeah, in 2010, Brazil and Turkey and Iran actually did sign a three-way agreement for Brazil and Turkey to process uranium for Iran. Why isn't Israel attacking them? Oh, well, anyway, I think it's just ludicrousness, and I would really um, appreciate if people stopped sending me that report. Moving on to an email from Cheered. Uh, He says, the solution to all our problems might be easy. Don't hate the elite, become the elite, to paraphrase James Evan Pilato. What I mean is simply to learn not to limit yourself to the short and midterm, but to learn the knowledge and techniques that empower you in the long term. Learn about human nature, about the fundamentals of politics, culture, finance, etc., and apply these fundamentals in daily life. Without aiming to be complete, these are a number of things that everyone can do. Number one, the true source of social power is to let other people think the thoughts that are ultimately not beneficial for them, but great for those in power. So question your beliefs. Beliefs are dangerous things. They are just as likely to harm you as to empower you. Number two, regularly ask the questions. What is the game that is played in this particular part of society? And is this the game we want to play? If you do not want the bank to win all the time, don't play roulette, but choose or design a more fair and more enjoyable game. Number three, not every ploy of the elite is a conspiracy. In fact, much of it is wide open. The Corbett Report presents scores of them as, as an alternative to conspiracy An alternative to conspiracies is that it is simply too easy to manipulate most of us with time-honored ploys. In fact, while the elite, criminal or not, is enriching themselves, we the people are hoping that others solve our problems while we should be be overseeing and directing it ourselves. 
Number four, the main tool of the elite is fear and anxiety. When fearful or anxious, we focus our attention to some perceived immediate cause. That's why terrorism, wars, crises, etc. exist. It puts us in a problem control mode. The other mode of thought is the option exploration mode. That's the really productive mode of thinking, especially when focused on long-term options. And he writes, P.S. I have a geopolitics and cognition page that might interest some. And I will include that link in the documentation section for today's episode as well. Excellent points. I very much agree with those uh, sentiments, and I think it's it's absolutely true. Uh, we have to be focused more on our long-term planning and long-term solutions rather than just on some magical silver bullet, which I think is something that, as humans, obviously, we're designed to want. We, we'd love to have someone come along and wave a magic wand and for all of the problems to disappear, but... Sorry, it's reality. That's not going to happen. And if you keep waiting for that, then unfortunately things are just going to continue getting worse and worse and worse. And we have to start thinking in terms of decades and even generations rather than just in terms of what's going to happen tomorrow. I also had a very interesting email from Brad who writes, There is a concept that seems to be missing from the debate. It is based upon a thousand years of common law and is embodied in the legal phrase in loco parentis. This is a concept recognized by the courts and backed by deep case law. It's often used in its dismiss- diminished form, and if you look up, it, look it up in most of the recent citations, it will point to its petite form. Petite. In its essence, it is the idea that sometimes you find yourself in the standing in, in the shoes of a parent. Petite example. You are walking down the street, and the kid that lives on your block rides up on his mic- bicycle, and he says, Hey, mister, watch me hit that ramp and leap over the highway. Well, you have a duty under common law to step in and stop such an action. It is interesting to note that the core concept is that we have a parental duty to stand in our forefathers' shoes and protect our rights, our civil society, and the future of freedom. Very interesting points, so I hope people will go and take a look more at that concept of in loco parentis. All right, and uh, finally, in the category of suggestions, we have this email from Damien. Please consider bringing this up in one of your shows. It's a good way of fighting back against eugenics. And he provides a link to this YouTube video. So, Damien, your wish is my command. The tumor, let's read the Dr. Evangelos Michalakis has given cancer researchers a brand new lead with an old drug, a cheap, inexpensive powder that costs just pennies a dose. You typically get this eureka kind of uh, feeling, and it's actually the most exciting thing a scientist can get. The drug, called DCA in short, has been used for decades in humans with some rare inherited diseases. When he added it to the water of mice and rats given human cancers, the results surprised him. And has this uh, big tumor growing in, in his back. So you can see that even after three weeks, there is a significant or 70% decrease in tumor size. It shrunk brain, breast, and lung tumors in the animals in a matter of weeks. And the drug had no side effects, confirmed by tests of DCA in humans for other diseases. This kind of results, to my mind, are as good as, as it gets. And it seems to work by reviving the energy-producing components of human cells, allowing the cells to work normally again, triggering cancerous cells to commit suicide. Scientists agree that DCA now needs to be tested quickly in human cancer patients. This is the, exactly what we want, a drug that has activity, but has also minimal side effects for patients. But there's a problem. DCA isn't owned by any pharmaceutical company. There's no patent on it. So on one hand, it could become a very inexpensive new treatment for cancer. On the other, drug companies won't be interested in funding studies for a drug that won't make them a profit. 
This is a, a difficult question because typically, you know, there are market considerations. So now Dr. Mikulakis has to find someone who will pay for the next round of testing. We hope that we can attract the interest of universities here in Canada and in the United States. And he doesn't want to let the medical dream of a cheap, effective anti-cancer drug disappear, just because it might not make someone a lot of money. All right, Damien, thank you for bringing that to our attention. And of course, I will provide the link to that for people who want to go and take a look at the entire clip. All right, well, let's move on to the next broad category of feedback, and this one is disagreements, and we'll start uh, with an email from Steph. As you've explicitly asked for feedback, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for interviewing J7 researcher Tom Secker a couple of times and linking to the J7 research group. J7 do excellent and meticulous research, but promotion isn't their strong point, leaving the field open for more colorful and imaginative characters, such as Muad'Dib and listeners out there might know him as John Anthony Hill, previous interviewee on The Corbett Report. Your interview with him is the only facepalm moment I can recall throughout my time listening to your excellent podcasts. Unlike Secker's work, Muad'Dib's 7-7 film is a flawed production, which presents speculation as fact. Both he and his film appeared on the 7-7 scene from out of the blue, just as the BBC started production of a hit piece on 7-7 conspiracy theorists. The BBC duly went to town on the film and his messianic pretensions. The 7-7 inquest recently concluded on Friday, 6th of May. As luck would have it, Muad'Dib's trial for attempting to interfere with another court case without the consent of the accused commenced on Monday, 9th of May. Thumbs up for being one of the handful of voices to speak out against the Japanese earthquake harp nonsense a few weeks back, reading around elsewhere in the alternative media. You'd be forgiven for thinking there were actually some evidence connecting the two. If you're going to be skeptical of official narratives, it only makes sense to be equally skeptical of alternative narratives. Your work stands for that principle, and as such, is still quite a rare thing. All right, well, thank you for that feedback, Steph. That was very much appreciated. And on the last point first... Uh, yes, I have been one of the people who have been absolutely holding out on the Japanese earthquake harp connection because uh, I was initially presented only with ridiculous, completely un- unconfirmed, unsourced, un- uninteresting material, and I, I got a lot of it about uh, basically people just asserting that there was a connection without providing any shred of evidence whatsoever for that connection. But on that note, I actually did receive an email today from an, a contributor named Carl who sent me a link to a Natural News article, which sources back to an MIT study that was just published and is available on technologyreview.com, I'll put in the link, that shows that, in fact, yes, there was atmospheric heating, uh, an unusual and very specific atmospheric heating over directly over the epicenter of the earthquake for three days prior to the earthquake, and this is coming from MIT, so not exactly whacked-out conspiracy theorists. Now, please be careful, that does not mean that it was necessarily HARP. There are lots of possible explanations for atmospheric heating, and there are some ideas that the tectonic movements that were already underway prior to the earthquake itself might have caused radon radiation to be streaming out into the atmosphere, and that might be being what's being picked up. So there's a lot of different alternatives, but it is, I think, probably the strongest evidence I've seen yet for the idea that there could be 
theoretically, a link between the ionospheric heaters and the Japanese earthquake. And as Freeman pointed out in our recent conversation on freemantv.com, well, he said that, yeah, well, there are many different ionospheric heaters. They're not just HARP. It's not just the U.S. that has these. So people should stop equating ionospheric heating with HARP itself and start to take a look at the idea that other countries are also playing around with this. So even if we could absolutely confirm that it was the result of ionospheric heating, we couldn't necessarily then say that it was HARP. So again, there's lots going on there. But getting back to your first point, Steph, I, uh, well, I will take the compliment about uh, the, the interviews that I've done with Tom Secker, and I absolutely agree that Tom Secker's research is impeccable and that he is an absolute fountain of knowledge on 7.7, so I'm very glad to have made his acquaintance, and I do very much support the work of J7 because I think they are absolutely committed to really going over the official story with a fine-tooth comb and finding out all those things that just do not add up, so well, I will once again commend them to the listeners. On the point of John Anthony Hill, a.k.a. Muad'Dib, well, consider this my mea culpa. Uh, whatever I was planning to accomplish with that interview, I obviously did not accomplish it because I have received a lot of feedback about that interview, absolutely none of which is positive. And I concede, I understand why people uh, are so disappointed with that interview. Uh, certainly, I did not in any way, shape, or form mean that interview to be an endorsement of John Anthony Hill's research or the idea that he is a messiah or any of that other nonsense garbage twaddle. But having said that, I absolutely 100% should have been more upfront about calling him out on that nonsense instead of humoring it with tongue-in-cheek, as I obviously did. That was completely and utterly the wrong thing to do, and I, I agree with that. I still stand by the idea that it's ridiculous that someone was... Uh, was deported and spent 150 plus days in jail for having mailed a DVD to a courtroom, no matter what, whatever, whatever laws they, he supposedly broke, but actually he was just cleared, so he actually didn't break any laws. So I, I still think that's absolutely stupidly ridiculous, and is just another sign of the stupidity of the court system and the absolute brazenness of the fact that it is owned, managed, manipulated, and completely controlled by the elite. And yet more examples of that is how the uh, there is a prominent Swiss lawmaker who has recently called for the arrest of Henry Kissinger while he's in the country in Switzerland uh, to attend this year's Bilderberg. And there was a Italian MEP, member of European Parliament, Mario Borghesio, who just attempted to enter uh, Bilderberg and was beaten up by Bilderberg police. Yes, absolutely. An MEP was just beaten up by Bilderberg police for daring to try to enter the Bilderberg meeting. You can't make this stuff up, and that's just another example of how ridiculously lopsided the law enforcement and justice system is all around the world, especially in Europe. And, um, and that was what I was really trying to highlight in the John Anthony Hill interview. I obviously didn't succeed, so so it's my mea culpa. And to anyone who I offended with uh, even talking to John Anthony Hill, well, let me apologize. And let me stress clearly and on the record, I do not support his research, and I do not think he is the Messiah. I never thought I'd have to actually say that, but there you go. Moving right along to an email from Clifford, who writes... While I agree that there is a vertical tyranny in the world per perpetrated by an elite that doesn't respect the sanctity of life, there is also a horizontal tyranny in the world perpetrated by the masses who often don't respect the sanctity of the individual. So if you succeed in toppling the upper parasites, as you say, do you have the strength to defend personal boundaries against groups who place the needs and beliefs of the group before the needs and beliefs of the individual? All right, good question, and I completely, utterly, totally agree with you. I think that uh, the New World Order is absolutely every bit as much a fight against and within ourselves as it is a fight with any sort of uh, out, outside elite. 
And while I think there is a psychopathic elite class that does try to uh, quite openly engineer our society and control it for their own aims, I think that we often perpetuate and allow that to happen by simply uh, giving into the prevailing ideologies and going along with the status quo. So I agree that there's absolutely as much a need for, for combating the horizontal tyranny, as you put it, and uh, you raise the, the idea of collectivism as uh, one of the key ideologies by which the elite get us to enslave ourselves, basically. And uh, again, I completely agree with you. I think collectivism is fundamentally flawed and is uh, very much at the base of so many of our problems. So uh, I can't really say I disagree. I think, uh, I think you're right. All right, moving on to an email from Robert, who writes, Only comment on your podcast is that you twist your voice to express ridicule. It reminds me of the nanny nanny poo poo style that Alex Jones uses. To me, you are of a much higher caliber. On euthanasia, there is no heroism or valor, suffering, pain, and being ridic- riddled with tumors in the last days of your life. We humanly put our pets to sl- we humanely put our pets to sleep when there is no hope anymore, and all agree it is the best thing for them. They do not kill people in Holland willy nilly. The law allows terminal patients to have the option to end the lives in dignity when there is no hope for recovery. Ending life because one is tired of it is not allowed by law. All the best and keep up the fantastic job. Well, thank you for that, uh, Robert. Um, on the the idea of me using voices to express ridicule, I can't and won't really apologize for that. Um, I'm not here to be a entertainer or anything, but I, I will speak the way I naturally speak. I'm not putting on a show and I'm not putting on airs. So, um, so I do, yes, in my regular everyday life, you know what? I actually do sometimes use voices to express ridicule or to mock things. Um, people... Pretty much every time I have ever attempted to make any sort of joke or, or any type of sarcastic comment, um, I've had negative emails from people, and uh, actually, I just don't care, because that's me, and that's just me expressing myself in the way that I I do, so I can't and won't take that back. On the euthanasia issue, well, I don't necessarily disagree, and I hope that people who were listening to last week's episode of the podcast, episode 189, Choose Life, I hope they don't take away from that the idea that I was necessarily uh, making a, a comment on euthanasia per se, but I did include that Alan Watt clip where he was talking about the billboard ads promoting euthanasia, which, again, I think you would have to agree is a completely different issue. And uh, I think the point there was that the promotion of the culture of death and the idea of putting our death in our faces constantly and getting us to to think about and want our own death is uh, is more of an overarching problem. And the specific uh, problem of euthanasia and that that whole debate is not something that I was specifically commenting on. And perhaps that would make a, a good point for a future report or future episode. Um, let's move on to an email from Greg. I think you're making a logical error by dismissing CO2-based climate problems. You often dismissively refer to it as that life-giving gas. Yes, plants use it. Yes, we exhale it. And yes, a certain amount of it is a nice blanket that keeps our planet comfortably warm. None of those things mean that too much of it isn't harmful. Pretty sure the greenhouse effect is undisputed, and pretty sure we've done something pretty damn extreme by digging up and burning millions of years worth of underground sequestered carbon and throwing it up in the air. Just because the elite are manipulating the problem to their advantage doesn't negate the basic science of it. Well, thank you for that, Greg. I do appreciate the uh, the feedback. Um, I think uh, certainly if my, the sum total of my entire argument was that CO2 is a life-giving gas, therefore any amount of it is good. If that was my argument, then absolutely you might have a point. But I think you should give me a little bit more credit than that, as we've talked about the science behind, or the lack thereof, behind the idea of CO2-based warming many, 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 many times throughout many different reports. 
and I will throw in some links to some things which might, uh, which I suggest that people like yourself out there should read um, as, as at least a starting point for a basis for this type of converse- conversation, as it complicates the straightforward notion of adding CO2 equals rising temperature. And I will include a link from Denis Roncourt, previous guest on the Corbett Report, who has an article entitled Radiation Physics Constraints on Global Warming. Um, I'll include an, uh, art, an article called New Paper Shows Lack of Correlation Between Temperature and CO2, and another article, No Rise of Atmospheric Carbon Dioxide Fraction in Past 160 Years, New Research Finds. Both of those articles are available from climategate.tv, and I would like to once again uh, commend climategate.tv to the listeners out there, as I do continue to keep it updated, at least on a weekly basis, with some interesting news stories here and there, and some videos and things related to the CO2 warming scam. And although there is much, much more to be said on this subject, and obviously I would invite you to explore climategate.tv as one source in helping to come to a better understanding of the subject, but I think it is very disingenuous to claim, as many alarmists do, that global warming skeptics do not assert that there is such thing as a greenhouse effect or greenhouse gases. I think that's a, a, a canard, it's a straw man, because as far as I know, no serious global warming skeptic claims anything of the sort. However, there are many, 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 many questions to be raised about the greenhouse effect and the way it functions, and just one example of that would be the concept of CO2 saturation, and I will put in a link to an article by uh, Lord Moncton uh, from the SPPI blog about the concept of CO2 saturation, which uh, brings up just one of the complications in the straightforward idea that adding CO2 increases uh, temperature unproblematically. So although there is much, much more to be said on that subject, let's move along to an email from Steve, who writes, I think your work is first class. However, this latest lazy dirtbag you brought up can go to hell. Monsignor, who cares, say all you need do is grow your garden and the cabal of evil will cease and desist. Can you smell a pile of poo when your shoes are covered? I'm a gardener myself. Permaculture, culture, you name it. Let's not be confused here any longer. One item is for self-preservation and just good sense. Our awareness is of a different sort. Canter to jackassology, a good cabbage raised, hinders not the evil cabal. Foolishness. Please don't dilute your message with any more of this tripe. If you want a message in the positive, you may outsource in many directions. But this fool should be regarded as such. Thanks again. I have shared you with five people just this week. Keep up the good work. Okay, well, thank you for that thoughtful analysis, Steve. And if you are a new listener to the Corbett Report and have just come across the concept that gardening equals independence equals the way out of this hellhole that we're being constructed uh, is being constructed around us, then definitely do not look into episode forty-one of this podcast, "Food as a Weapon." Do not go back to CorbettReport.com to listen to episode fifty-nine, "Codex Alimentarius." Stay away from episode eighty-one, "Surviving the Collapse." Don't listen to episode eighty-three, "Food World Order." Whatever you do. Keep your hands off episode 146, Lessons in Resistance, Building Communities. Stay uh, stay uh, ignorant of episode 150, How to Defeat the New World Order. And whatever you do, don't expose your eyes to the horrible nightmare of the excellent article, The Globalist's Worst Nightmare by the Land Destroyer Report, or Getting Off the Globalist Chessboard by Stuart Rhodes and Brandon Smith. Because as we've pointed out time and time and time and time and time again on this podcast, Food independence is independence, which is the key component to getting off of the globalist system. So I can't 
for the life of me understand how anyone could think that that is not an important concept. And although it's not the silver bullet that will cure everything in the world, I agree, it is certainly a key component to uh, to getting ourselves off the system. So, so I couldn't disagree more with that sentiment. Okay, well, let's switch again. So the final category for comments that I received is positive feedback. So let's end on a, on a happier note. And uh, once again, just as in episode 150, we had correspondence from Batman. Well, Batman is back with this, uh, this uh, short email. Francis Bacon noted, knowledge itself is power. But it was William Hazlitt who noted, knowledge is pleasure as well as power. Through my exposure to alternative independent news sources, I have discovered in myself a deep satisfaction in learning and obtaining knowledge far exceeding the culmination of all my public schooling by multitudes. And he finishes with a quote from Michelangelo, I am still learning. Well, I'll take that as a compliment not only to myself, of course, but to all of the hardworking people in the independent alternative media who I truly do believe are causing and bringing about the revolution in consciousness that is the only revolution that matters. So... So hats off to to Batman and to all the people out there who are making this independent alternative uh, news possible by supporting those people out in the alternative media. Next up, we had an email from a very long-time correspondent uh, who goes by the name of Starfish, and she said that episode 189 was right on for me since I've wanted to have a baby for a while now and I'm not able to find any Austrian men who are not a part of the death culture and or climate change followers, eco-freaks, and the likes and not any who are willing to give up smoking and drinking for long enough to produce good sperm, and I'm already 36. I think if I get my friends to listen to your last episode, it could at least get a healthy conversation started. Yours is by far the best website that has given me the most I have ever gotten from a website. I visit it at least daily and have not gotten tired of you or your message in about four years of listening to you. Part of this I can attribute to your commitment to truth and openness and accuracy. Well, Starfish, thank you very much for all your correspondence over the years, and thank you for your kind words. I am, as I say, just one man just trying to put out the information I find interesting and relevant, and I'm glad that you've gotten something out of that. And uh, finally today, I wanted to leave with uh, something I thought was an especially nice email, um, something that I really enjoyed receiving. It was from Jeff, and he writes, Hi, James. Thanks for doing a show dedicated to listener feedback. I'm always blown away by the insights people have into the machinations of this great and beautiful world we live in and on. When I thought about why I liked your show so much, it occurred to me that it wasn't always the content or your point of view that appealed to me. Instead, it was your approach. Kind of nerdy at times, but really just totally honest, rigorous, and filled with integrity. If only we had more people like you reporting the news. I especially liked your efforts to show that while it may appear that we are overpowered, overwhelmed, outgunned, and downtrodden by the few, whoever they may be, we really aren't, and that goodness and niceness always wins out in the end. If you think about it, though, this theme is axiomatic. We wouldn't be here if there were forces more powerful than the force of life, which is basically good. Life would have ceased to exist long ago and may never have started had there been a force equal in power to the force of life. And it's pretty easy to align ourselves to the force of the universe, which supports life by simply expressing goodness. Your work has brought peoples, including me, awareness to some dark and hidden conditions. These can seem pretty overwhelming when anyone first begins to realize just how grim some conditions are, and each of us has to come to terms with that in our own way. Unfortunately for me, denial has never worked. This has been a battle for our minds. The few know this. They know that thoughts are creative and have staged the war in a way that can make it difficult to have any hope at times. However, your show, along with everyone else who cares to, note, to notice, has tipped the balance in favor of something much better. Please keep up the great work. Best regards, Jeff. 
Well, that is the best feedback I could, I guess I can possibly receive because certainly it is not my intention to, to have everyone out there necessarily agreeing with everything I say or my point of view on everything. But I think ultimately deep down the entire theme and, and impetus for this broad podcast is simply to, to put out the information that's relevant and to, uh, to let people know that there is a good and positive force for life in this, in this world of ours. No matter how grim things are, it is not a lost cause and you are not alone out there. So on that note, we're going to end it here as we're running out of time. I apologize to all those people whose feedback I did not specifically get to. Once again, there was more feedback than I could possibly go over in this episode. But uh, all of your feedback is and continues to be appreciated. And of course, I do get more feedback than I can ever possibly deal with. So if, uh, if you ever do send me some links or something and I don't get back to you, I do apologize for it. But I do appreciate all of you out there without whom this podcast would not be possible. That's it for this week. I am your host, James Corbett, thanking you for joining me and asking you to join me again next week for another edition of The Corbett Report. The Corbett Report is brought to you by The Corbett Report 2009 Video Archive. Buy your copy today at corbettreport.com.